0: Some of the images and sounds you are about to see and hear are graphic in nature. Viewer discretion is advised. Flight 11 crashed into the North Tower of the World Trade Center at 8:46 a.m. on September 11th, 2001. About 6,000 people were in the building. Unaware of what had happened, they used their phones to get information from the outside world and to make contact with loved ones. You want to
1: say how much I love you. Well, I am okay. I'm safe now. But
0: you. The calls came from survivors. And they came from some of the three thousand who never came home. Some of these calls were recorded and some are etched in the memories of those left behind.
2: Now you stay the
1: These calls and these radio transmissions, they show us through sound, what we couldn't see with our eyes.
3: The deluge started almost immediately. There were 3,000 calls to 9-11 from the emergency dispatchers in the first 10 minutes. And the calls kept coming in
2: We have numerous, numerous people trapped.
3: The plane hit from the 93rd to the 99th floor and it destroyed the stairwells in the 92nd floor.
2: Yes, I had a call for the World Trade Center, 106th floor, and said the floor is on fire.
4: Ladies and gentlemen of America, AJC Radio brings to you a very special edition, Remembering 9-11. One of the worst tragedies to hit this nation. Tonight we're joined by the IRP-5 that set out with one goal, and that was to protect the homeland. They chime in on this tragedy that shook a nation. This is AJC Radio. We take off right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, William Williams, and the entire AJC Radio team, including Sampson Whittle. And as I said moments ago, the IRP5 to chime in as we look back on the tragedy of 9-11. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Uh, A tragedy of tragedies, if you will. But the greater tragedy, as we will get into this tonight, is that the IRP5 set out to create software that would help keep America safe and that another 9-11 would never happen. We're going to get into all of that tonight as we look back, the voices, the sounds, and the victims and the casualties of this destruction, we're going to get into all of that this evening. And Dennis, as we get ready to get into this one tonight... uh, Tell our listeners, why is it so important that we never forget?
5: We had a lot of uh, Americans lose their lives and a lot of families, uh, you know, got broke up. You heard from the uh,
6: prelude, you know, the, the clip. Uh, it's very painful uh, to remember that, you know, uh, the enemy attacked our country and uh, took a lot of
7: lives. So it's definitely we, we, we can't forget uh just to make sure that we're we're, we're making sure that this doesn't happen again. So I I truly
8: believe we just got to keep it in our minds to to not forget it.
4: Well, and it's impossible really to forget it. Um, And many people ask, what were you doing on 9-11 when this tragedy uh, shook this entire nation in ways that we never imagined? Samson, if you can share with our listeners tonight, uh, what were you doing when this tragedy took
9: place? Um, actually, I can remember I was, I was actually at work and it seems like when the first plane hit the the tower, like it was almost like a, a moment of like just sheer disbelief. And I mean, there, it was almost like just eerily quiet, like nobody could believe what was going on on the TV. Nobody could believe what was going on, you know, but they were sitting there bearing witness to it. And then when the second plane hit, that's when like everyone just, They seem to completely lose their mind because it's like never in, you know, other than Pearl Harbor, never in our history has an enemy attacked us so openly and blatantly like this. And now for it to happen in our lifetime, you know, I mean, it was just it left people speechless and it left them. I mean, you heard all the people that were making their phone calls trying to get a hold of loved ones like anybody that had anybody in New York at that time was on their phone. They were on email. They were doing anything they could to get a hold of their family members. And it just it was a a complete matter of just shock in everyone that I was around.
4: No, absolutely right. And we're going
9: to get into all of that, folks. Feel free to
4: dial into tonight's show at 646-200-0628, 646-200-0628. And we're going to be talking again and get the perspective uh, of the IRP5 as we go down this very uh, serious uh, discussion tonight. And We'll say it again that, uh, and we're going to be hearing from William Williams. We talked about this, William, before, uh, in regards that uh, reports that have come out. Uh, probably, I think, uh, on the years we have done this show, remembering 9/11, that the country was no safer today than it was when this tragedy took place. Why don't you chime in on that?
7: That's true. You know, as we've covered, like you said, we've we've heard stories and there have been um, news. Clips where you've seen there's been recruiting of terrorist organizations on college campuses. There's more and more uh, of a terrorist threat and, and an undercover network that's going on here in the United States. So we are continuing to be more vulnerable, you know. And that was that's been this thing over and over again. And so as as we fought in the Middle East and fought against terrorism there, there's been this this underlying movement here that has been. A, a, a recruitment, really. And so it has continued,
4: and here we are, years later, and we are no safer, no safer. And that's a tragedy because I believe the software uh, we're going to get into as we go through this show will have the IRP5 chiming in with the hard work that was put to this software uh, with one goal in mind, and that was to protect the United States of America from any terrorist threat. Uh, that could that could really uh, threaten the homeland. And uh, the tragedy of that is is that the governor of the United States came after these men without cause. So at the end of the day, you have to say the wrongful number one prosecution that took these men away for eight years when they could have continued to build upon the software that was created. And you're going to hear from them tonight. Look, uh, we filled a lot of body bags on this day, uh, 9-11. Uh, when it happened, a lot of people died. And for someone in any type of position, as we've talked about, Federal Judge Christine Argoel, uh, and the prosecution, the government of the United States, came after these men, where would we be today, eight years later? I guarantee you, we would not be saying that we are just as unsafe as we were when this event happened, I think the the narrative and the discussion without question would change. We're gonna get into all of that. Uh, We're gonna go right now to some current events. But folks, tune in tonight. This aims to be a big one as we look back, as we must do, appropriately, to the tragedy of 9-11. We had heard last week um, about a gentleman uh, that And you probably already saw this on the news reports uh, that a Mr. Prude was actually arrested. This was a gentleman who was suffering from some, some mental uh, uh, issues in his life. He was actually found his family, contacted authorities, telling authorities, look, our brother, our family member is out here. They, he's wandering around somewhere. He has no clothes on. Do you know the police officers took the life of Mr. Prude as he complied with every feasible order that the police gave him laying face down on concrete in the rain and the snow, surrendering. Had no weapon, was no threat. He, He did not leave that scene alive. So when you have people say, well, all people have to do is comply with the police and do what they're saying to do, and then nobody would be getting killed by officers in this country. Not true. Uh, Joe Prude said he admitted his brother to a hospital for help hours before the incident, but Daniel Prude was released after a short time. Joe Prude added he told officers that his brother was not a threat to anyone but himself and asked them not to kill him. They knew the mental distress he was in, he told reporters. During an earlier news conference, Rochester police, Chief LaRon Singletary, said Wednesday that the officers involved in the incident have not been suspended, excuse me, have yeah, have not been suspended and denied allegations that his office was trying to cover it up. How often do we talk about if you go and see this video? It is so troubling. And this man is has his hands up. He lays on the ground, spread ego, with his arms facing the direction, no threat. They put a bag over his head, a spit bag, they call it. He began to vomit and choke on his own vomit with that particular restraint on him. Uh, David, uh, I know you've had an opportunity to look at this video, one of the most troubling things I have ever witnessed as far as police brutality.
8: Give us your thoughts. Well, I thought what was so shocking about it was the callous nature of the police officers on the scene here and how they just seemed so nonchalant about putting a bag over the man's head. Uh, They also had him laying flat on the ground. He has no clothes on. It's like, Don't you have any compassion? How can you as a human being do that to someone with such callous, cold disregard for that human being? It's just a complete, I witness a complete lack of humanity by the police department. And I just don't understand, even if some of the procedures are are, uh, necessary or a part of policy, you've got to apply policy. In a, in a humane way, and uh you just can't kill somebody and say, well, this was just policy or whatever, so he's dead, but it doesn't really matter if he's dead. This is just policy, and you walk away in a cold, callous way as if uh nothing happened. Uh, you didn't have to kill that man. That man should have been alive. Why didn't you call a, psych, a, a psychological... uh a professional or a psychiatrist or something to deal with him. Uh, if he had been admitted to some sort of hospital, certainly uh, the police aren't equipped to deal with uh, uh, mental illness. So instead, the way they dealt with it was just to treat him like a, a just a piece of garbage on the street and ultimately uh, allowed him to die. It was very tragic and very sad uh, 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 video to watch. Well, the family
4: went on to say that they watched the video And stated that was one of the most difficult experiences of their lives, watching the family react to seeing their brother and son murdered by RPD, uh, which is the Rochester Police Department, while other officers, paramedics, EMTs, and no one granted him any basic humanity. Basic humanity, uh, as David uh, just alluded to, absolutely horrific. And at one point of the video, the officers were laughing, mocking this man because he was mentally uh, in a bad mental state of mind. And when officers began to target the mentally ill and the family still, in spite of all that had happened and has been going on in this country with officers and police brutality, they picked up the phone and called the police for help. Because their loved one had wandered off in the night completely naked and could harm himself. And he he still ends up, another statistic, by police officers in this country, absolutely
10: outrageous. Dave. Well, one of the things that really bothered me is when the New York Attorney General moved to impanel the grand jury, he said it was after the release of the video sparked outcry. So what you're telling me is that if you did not release the video, he wouldn't have been paneled to grand jury. They would have just gotten away with it. And you see this happening over and over again. A 13-year-old boy in Salt Lake City was, was shot by the police. He has Asperger's syndrome. His mother called because he was out of control, but she said he doesn't have a weapon. He's not a threat. We just need somebody to help us calm him down. They shot him. He's in the hospital right now. fighting for his life?
4: unbelievable folks and you wonder why people are protesting you wonder why that's happening william go ahead
7: yeah you know another thing that really makes you sick about this whole thing is you see the same constant scenario now with the rochester police the the chief and the deputy chief have now retired so this is their latest news that they've retired and now i think there's seven officers that are suspended how are you how are you able to just walk away receive a retirement package in the midst of this. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we we hear this story over and over again, and you hear administrative leave. You hear a temporary suspension. You hear things like that where these guys are still on payroll. They're still being compensated in some shape, form, or fashion in the midst of their wrong. They're they're involved. Their department is involved with some kind of wrongdoing where some black man has ended up losing his life and they can just simply walk away from this. It's, it's amazing to me. It's almost like they just say they wash their hands of it because they, it's, it's like, you know what, I can't do anything, and I'm just going oh. to get out of here.
11: Well,
4: look, it's the, coward, uh, the cowardly act of doing something like that. We're going to be reporting more on this to come. Uh, our family, uh, excuse me, our organization, the Just Cause Agency Radio I sincere good condolences uh, to the crew family, uh, and I thought some present with them. This his was crazy. This this situation took place in March, and somehow just now uh, has surfaced as we go into fall. Uh, action should have been t- a- action should have been taken swift uh, and precise. Uh, so stay tuned uh, to AJC Radio as we continue to bring to you current events going on in this nation uh, on a day to day basis. The other side of the break, ladies and gentlemen, a sobering, somber show tonight as AJC Radio takes a look back of the greatest terrorist attack tragedy to face this nation. We look back on 9-11. This is AJC Radio.
12: We want to tell you what we know as we know it we just got a report in that there's been some sort of explosion at the world trade center in new york city one report said and we can't confirm any of this that a plane may have hit one of the two towers of the world trade center but again you're seeing the live pictures here we have no further details than that we don't know anything about what they have concluded happened there this morning, but we're going to find out and, of course, make sure that everybody knows on the air.
13: These are, of course, the two twin Trade Center buildings that are down at the foot of Manhattan. That They really are the beacons of New York. It was there that there was the explosion a couple of years ago, brought about by terrorists. That's all gone through the courts. But this, we don't know anything about. We don't know about anything that has happened here, other than the fact that there's obviously been a major incident there. And we're going to go to a special report now from ABC News
14: this is an abc news special report
13: now by the entire abc network good morning america was in progress in the east coast and the midwest but we're joined by the entire network just to show you some pictures at the foot of new york city this is at the world trade center obviously a major fire there and there has been some sort of explosion we don't fully know the details there is one report as of yet unconfirmed that a plane has hit of the world trade center and you can see that there is smoke there coming out of at least two sides of the building
12: and as you said there are two towers the tallest structures in manhattan on the island of manhattan we're trying to get people on the telephone to see what more we can learn we have no idea if it was a plane was it in any sense deliberate was it an accident it does seem to be that there is considerable and and truly terrifying damage on some of those floors at the top.
13: Th- this angle is a little deceptive. As you know, there are two Trade Center Towers, and the second tower there is hidden behind uh, the first. This is uh, really almost the picture postcard of New York City. Um, it's the uh, That and the Empire State Building, I guess, are the two most recognizable symbols of New York. There you can see uh, the two. Well, we had there briefly the other angle of the World Trade Center Towers, but this is... Uh, confined to one of the towers on the upper floors of these buildings uh, i think they're 110 stories each so this would be in the uh, in the top 15 or 20 floors then.
12: you mentioned earlier that of course as we all know years ago there was that terrorist attack it took place down on the ground and in the underground levels and the garage levels uh but again that's not to imply that we have any reason no. at this point to believe that this is this is terrorism or not we simply don't know
2: students and welcome to Career Day. I hope you're excited to hear about all the great things you can do when you grow up. Hi everyone. I'm Emily. I'm super excited to introduce my dad because he's my hero. When I was little my dad was away a lot but I was okay with that because he was doing this really important work driving ambulances in Iraq. Now he's at home which is great for me because I get to see him every day now. And he's still the biggest hero I know because he tells all the ambulances and the fire engines where to go and rescue people when there's in an emergency. I'm so proud of him. He's awesome. He's my dad.
15: If your service-connected disability prevents you from continuing in your civilian career, Vogue Rehab offers counseling, training with a living allowance, education, and other services to help prepare you for your next mission. For a kid
4: whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now, add a wrongful conviction to that, life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with, especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today, 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future.
16: Say goodbye to affordability and say hello to losing control. Discover Price Gougesol, the latest outrageously expensive drug from Big Pharma. It's impossible to afford and reverses the ability to pay other bills. Because drug companies raise prices to pay for commercials like this one, side effects may include overdrawn bank accounts, bad credit scores, higher health care costs, children who don't get Christmas presents, and in some cases, the need to stop taking your medicine. If you experience any of these side effects, contact your financial advisor right away. Out of control drug costs are no joke. Yet nine of the 10 biggest pharma companies spend more on advertising than research and development. Let's solve the cost crisis now. Visit csrxp.org.
17: How often does our justice system get it wrong, convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit? A new project by the University of Michigan Law School and the Center for Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern University School of Law tries to answer that question. In the last 23 years, more than 2,000 people have been convicted of serious crimes and later exonerated, according to the National Registry of Exonerations. By far, the largest segment was almost 1,200 defendants falsely Convicted because of large scale patterns of police corruption, generally in drug and gun cases. Of the remaining 873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in a nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media, according to the report's author i
12: This Justin, you were looking at a, obviously a very disturbing live shot there. That is the World Trade Center, and we have unconfirmed reports this morning that a plane has crashed into one of the towers of the World Trade Center. Yeah, now remember, oh my
3: God. That looks like a second plane. A I see a plane go in. That's-
13: that just exploded. I just saw another plane coming in from the side. Yeah, that was out of the That so the second explosion. You could see the plane come in just from the right-hand side of the screen. So this looks like it is some sort of a concerted effort to attack the World Trade Center. Did you see what happened? What happened? Well, I was in the
18: past
2: train, and there was a huge explosion sound. Everyone
18: came out.
16: A large section of the building is blown out around. Like is, uh, they are now saying that a
3: plane, incredibly, has crashed into the Pentagon. You in another, another aircraft, down. unbelievably, has crashed into the Pentagon. This is a preliminary while we seek to confirm this, but this work just into us from our newsroom, and perhaps another aircraft went in
5: there.
12: Amen. Yeah.
3: In Washington, there is, a, there is a large fire at the Pentagon. The Pentagon has been evacuated. And there, as you can see, the, sound, the top portion of which is
5: collapsed.
4: Good luck. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio Tonight. The sound that you just heard was a sound of complete terror that caught this country by surprise. Tonight, as I shared earlier with you, the IRP-5, who set out, who I call America's Patriots, set out with one goal in mind, and that was to protect the homeland from tragedies such as this. It is one of those things that this many years later still has a very strong impact of what we have seen and all that has happened. I'll go to David first. David Banks, one of the IRP5. I cannot help but notice the, the troubled look as you heard the sounds of people screaming. As without question, death was inevitable to so many. Give me your thoughts of what you felt during that moment.
10: Well,
8: every time I uh, think about 9-11, even uh, to this moment, my heart uh, really gets heavy, uh, to say the least. Uh, uh, sometime after 9-11, I returned to New York. Uh, I had been to the Twin Towers before. I returned to New York actually for our company to do business with the nypd and uh to market and sell our product i stood there my first trip back to new york i remember it like it was yesterday on the ninth floor of the millennium hilton which is just across the street from the trade centers and i stood there looking out the windows uh, where the towers once stood and I just, I just began to weep. It was, it was such a, a sad, sad time, uh, uh, to say the least. Uh, and on that day, uh, my motivation to do something and to be a part of something that was greater than ourselves, uh, was, was, uh, reinforced that we had to do something, uh, if we could help our law enforcement, help people, the, the, those cries are just, uh, that I just heard are just heart wrenching. And I just, it's just hard for me to really put into words uh, the tragedy. But I, law enforcement lost their lives, people lost their lives, all because of some sick, twisted, terrorist that wants to kill innocent people it's just something i can't explain uh and we were determined as a as a company and i was determined as an individual to do something and then to do that to work so hard and then to be labeled as a criminal by your the own government that you were trying to trying to help is just something that adds it just adds that much more sadness to uh, to our efforts, and, and like you said, it's just it's just tragic, and I'm, I'm still I still hurt from it till this day.
4: No, without question, and uh, to work so hard on something, uh, I can't imagine the emotions that when you hear those people. Uh, and to every person that was lost and the family members that suffered and the children that lost parents, uh, that would be very troubling uh, to me as well. It should be troubling to this nation. And the the greater tragedy is that the IRP Solutions and the rp 5 men, as David just stated, was about to help. And they were still targeted. Uh, Somewhere along the way, the line must be drawn that cannot be crossed. Uh, this judge, uh, this uh, prosecution against the RFP-5 was unwarranted on every possible uh, uh, level. Demetrius, your thoughts?
19: It's very, it's very hard to listen to people before they're losing their lives. They're calling loved ones. They're checking in to say, I'm okay. And some... Uh, on other accounts, we're saying we can't see it's it's too. High. I can't imagine the horror that happened on that day, and and that's what inspired us to to change that to say that we had the information. You had different organizations and within our government that were not sharing data. That's a simple and and IT. That's a simple task, and IRP. Uh, we collectively. Uh, merged together to say we're going to change that, that the information that they had on some of these terrorist suspects was uh, hoarded, it was not shared, it was not, uh, um, you're trying to protect the homeland, and you are more concerned about egos, and uh, we have we want to take recognition for bringing down these suspects, that is, that's a, a greater tragedy to know that you had the information, but yet you did not want to share because uh, this is our organization we don't share at the FBI we don't share it to see all this uh, crap and that motivates us to this day to to bring a solution we have the solution in the silk solution to to help our nation share data to that this will never happen again if america has not learned its lesson is it going to take another tragedy are we going to lose more lives because our government officials do not want to uh, to play well and share uh, information, that was one of our main focuses to to bring that in.
4: No, absolutely right. And uh, uh, the uh, the victims of nine eleven, uh, and you'll hear those sounds. You'll hear from some of the loved ones right now. A special tribute was given to a young girl who lost her father on nine eleven. We pay tribute to her right now.
2: It's been a year, Daddy. I really, really miss you. Mommy says you're safe now in a beautiful place called Heaven. Oh, a heavy really You had your favorite dinner tonight. That was only And I ate it all up. And wild Even though I don't like carrots. No. Yeah. Take you with me. I learned how to swim this summer. We've been down at a and trail. I kept ease and open my back eyes. Over now. When I run the water, can make a back home. Can you see me? I miss you, Daddy. Baby, you're all that I want. But at least we're in heaven. It's been five years, Daddy. Love is all that I need. I'm, I'm in fifth grade, grade now. Five, seven, seven. I really like computers. Hard to but math is hard. We're in Mommy lets me sleep in one of your T-shirts. Oh, I think it still smells like you. Well, world I don't need to sleep with the light on anymore I you now I'm trying not to cry daddy please can you me I really miss you daddy I will love I the love can you will see light It's been 10 years, Daddy. Baby, I, I started high school. I made the robot. I hope you're proud of me.
16: I'm also on the soccer team.
2: Can you see me on the field? I started thinking about colleges. Do you think I can be a doctor? I know you'll be with me when I walk down the aisle. I've been waiting for a while. I try not to be sad. and right. But it hurts. Nothing's I hope you know you're my hero. I love you so much. How I dream I you Can you see me? Can you see me? me there. I'll be sad. It's been 15 years, Daddy. I'm finishing college. I got into med school. You really want to help people. You have always inspired me. I met a nice guy. It's really special to me. I think you would really like him. We talk about our life together. Mom says he's a lot like you. I think about you every day. I'm still sad. But you make me strong. Can you see me? I miss you, Daddy. I really miss miss you, Daddy. I miss you, Daddy. I miss you, Daddy.
8: A little
4: girl's cry, a teenager's heartfelt emotion, and a young lady this many years later missing the man that was taken, who she called her father. The tragedy of this story is twofold. When you talk about people not wanting to share information, because one person wants credit over the other. Is it worth the price and the cost and the lives that were lost on 9-11? This is something that will not be popular among those who chose ego over the safety of this nation. Somebody would have to explain to this young lady that your dad was lost. Because I failed to do my job. The IRP-5 set out to make a difference. Clint Stewart, one of the IRP-5, when you hear that clip, give me your thoughts as a father yourself.
11: Well, when I hear that clip, it reminds me of uh, a thing that I heard in prison. You go to prison, it's like being dead with your eyes wide open. And uh, you separate from that. I was separated from my daughter. Many times, it's a hurting thing. Many times I thought on this very subject, uh, you're not free. You, 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 uh, you miss that time. You know that you're missed. And it's very, very difficult to know what to do as a father, as a parent as one that has responsibilities but you can no longer be there for the one who's depending on you. And you're so grateful to others who are taking that position that you normally would would be in to uh, assist or be there to support. It's a very hard thing to hear and to deal with.
4: And I'll tell you what, this is not someone or some reality TV show this is something that this country lived that they went through that they suffered we all suffered as a result of this and when you see the devastation the devastation of those towers i remember working for a company at that time
19: uh and i
4: remember them telling everybody to leave the floor because something tragic was happening and as everybody looked on their television uh it was something you you initially thought, well, is there a fire somewhere? Did something happen? You never went to the fact that this was a terrorist attack on this country. But it, it, it most definitely was. Dave Zapolo, give me your thoughts of that young girl and all those that suffered the loss as a result of this tragedy.
10: It was so hard listening to that. I mean, I think about my nephews could have been that same, that little girl, because my sister was supposed to be on either United 175 or American Airlines 11. I don't remember which one it was, but she was flying out that morning from Boston to Los Angeles, and she was booked on one of those flights. And at the last minute, she changed her flight so that she could pick up her nephew, her pick up her son, take her sons to school. And I think that she could have been on that flight if they if they had just been sharing information that wouldn't have happened and we may have listeners out there today thinking well they must be sharing information today and we know that that's not true because one of the school shootings it might have been parkland i don't remember turns out that the school shooter there had been reports of him being a danger in other areas so and they never shared that information with parkland or whatever city it was it was with and when I heard that, I said, this is what we were complaining about in 2001. Yes. And this was in the teens because we were in prison when I heard this. And to think that 10 years later, at a minimum, they still were not sharing data. It just kills me because we had software that allowed for that. And we were working with police officers and the, uh, the federal government to put together plans to share information across the United States. And how can you be today still not doing that? It is, it is uncomprehendable to me.
4: Uh, And as business people, as Americans, that has to be a slap in the face. That man, and, and, and Dave, to your point, that what if, what could have been, and people are still not sharing information. That is the most insane thing I have ever heard. Because when you listen to the victims, the people that are crying, the people calling from that tower, and to all of our listeners out there, this is where IRP5 come in to say we will not have that happen on our watch. What can we do? That's being up all night, developing, working hard together. We must get this done, driven with the, not only the entrepreneur spirit of this country that is supposed to be entitled to everyone that seeks that dream, but to save lives. That's what they say this country is about. But the government of the United States went the opposite direction. And to this day, I am puzzled why no one has, because at the end of the day, you're complicit. If somebody at the top does not take control of that and say, we're not going to tolerate hiding information, as you said, Dave, they could have shared that information. They could have tracked that information had they not uh, decided uh, to, to not share it and to have the casualties. And thank God that your, your sister uh, did not board that flight because, of course, the discussion would be a little different. Um
14: Kendrick, your thoughts on this? Well, I'm always every time 9/11 comes around, especially with that with the little girl talking about her dad, I'm always the thing that always sticks to me is the newspaper article where they had the gentleman who had basically leaped to his death off the side of the building. And it was it was a black man and it always struck me that what would make him decide to either what choice was that? I am either going to sit here and burn to death, or do I just jump? And I always put myself in that situation. What 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 kind of decision and rock and hard place are you put in? And every nation, pretty much in the world, from what I understand, was represented in, in the World Trade Center. And that's something that, uh, as we were developing our software, we were. I always personally thought, you know what? I don't want to ever have any person, especially myself or anyone, have to make a decision on how am I going to die? If there's a way that we could prevent that, if we can just somehow assist in some small way, that's why I was I was proud to be a part of IRP Solutions and trying to just come up with something that will help. If we can communicate, put our differences aside, and you know what? Let's stop a tragedy if we can. That was our goal. And the, the sad, the bittersweetness and sadness of, uh, of the 9-11 event was That was probably one of the few times That the country was the most unified Because we had one goal Is we don't want Nothing like that to happen again And, and that was IRP's like Whole mission, you know what Let's work together with this country And let's see if we can help prevent You know, another tragedy well, They set out
4: in an unselfish fashion um, I'm reminded Of the The stories of the hard work. The vision of the IRP-5 was noble. It was honorable. I don't care how many times you try to wrap your hands around the fact that these innocent men were sent to prison for creating a software that would save another little girl's father or mother from tragedy. I am... Every year we hear this, the reaction is the same. Troubling that we would be in a situation like this. Um, David?
8: Yeah, uh, I'd like to add a couple of extra notes. Uh, by virtue of us uh, in being involved with the NYPD, we got to hear some inside information about what actually transpired that day and it's just that stuff still rests with me and still turns me inside out when i think about it. i remember talking to the gentleman who we were working with at the nypd telling us it's not reported just how many people jumped from the towers the decision to burn to death, as Kendrick was talking about, or jump. And he told me how the the bodies would just almost disintegrate. You'd have then they found hands over here. They would find a foot. They would find part of a head. And the, and he walked us through some of the scene. It was just where one of the the airplane engines landed. you just can't imagine the absolute uh, just destructive force uh, and, and uh, the total panic that went on that day. You, if you haven't been to New York and seen the size of those towers, you really can't get an appreciation for what possibly transpired that day. Even when we visited New York in 2003, 2004, they still hadn't repaired the buildings. A lot of them were still defaced uh, and had construction going on. But it's, I, like I said, it just cannot be. And I said I want to take a moment to thank uh, law. A lot of the people in law enforcement and firefighters died that day trying to save
20: people. It's,
8: it's just, it's just tragic. And another tragic thing: we're sitting here, we're dealing with the deaths of. African-Americans in the street. Uh, everybody talks about Martin Luther King, but we got this division in this country. Uh, he said, judge people by the content of the character, not the color of their skin. Yet we got people still viewing people through the color of their skin. We got, in the opposite fashion, people viewing everybody through one lens by the color of the uniform they wear. And nobody it seems that nobody gets is respecting we just got to a place where we don't respect each other the government didn't respect us and what we were trying to do and they labeled us as criminals none of us are criminals we never never have been and never will be criminals so and i and i have no regrets about what we were trying to accomplish at irp i'm still proud of what we did and uh, tragically uh we were mistreated by the government through this process but At the end of the day, um, hopefully, uh, the experience of prison, I'm going to even more so want to help people and still want to help this nation.
4: No, absolutely right. And uh, uh, though this is a – but you have to reflect. With that reflection comes pain. With that reflection comes disappointment. On the other side of the break, you're going to hear from the voices coming from the towers and the plea for help. This is AJC Radio, remembering 9-11 again. We'll be right back.
5: My nephew Joshua was 13 when he was killed in 2001. Was living with me at the time. He asked me, can I go by Billy's house. I thought, well, you know, what's the harm in that, you know? My mistake was I assumed that there was a parent home. I assumed his father had his weapon properly secured. The kid had removed the magazine so the kid was sure that the gun was safe. And he, what he didn't know was there was a bullet chamber. Joshua had this fear of weapons because he lost his mother to gun violence. I think this kid really pulled the trigger to show Joshua that that it was not dangerous. The hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life is to tell my mom we have to bury her grandson. The pain was so great we just wanted to do something positive. And we also wanted to try to prevent families from experiencing the same pain that this put my family through. we began working with the end family fire campaign. Family fire is the accidental shooting of a family member with a weapon that was improperly secured, improperly stored. It's a difficult conversation for people. You don't want to ask or say anything to your neighbors because you don't want to offend them, but there are important things we should know. Where are they going when they play? (laughs) What is the environment of that home? We have to understand that children are inquisitive. They're curious. And there's not one corner of the house that they haven't gone through. If you're a gun owner, you have to make sure your weapon is inaccessible. It will save the family from the pain and the trauma that my family's put through. Because once that happens, it's forever. And if I could prevent one family from experiencing that, then his life will have some purpose.
18: Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? Or visit a-justcause.com and click the Donate button. A Just Cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall.
0: I wanted to be in the military since since I was a kid. I served in the United States Air Force.
18: I served a total of 16 years.
3: I was deployed uh, 13 times. On well, my second deployment, four
13: bombs that hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die.
21: Coming back, I was raging.
13: I started having pretty horrible nightmares.
1: I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot.
11: I felt worthless.
2: I guess I never recognized it in myself.
11: Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said I'd like to see somebody.
22: Don't suffer alone. You got to find that link with somebody that'll make you let it go.
13: It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back, so you owe it to
23: them to live well, because they're not here with their families.
2: There's a lot of mud when it rains here, and it makes it really hard to find food. There are car bombs every day. My mom worries about me when I go out. Every time I hear the alarm bell go off in school, I think it's an air raid. Sometimes I have nightmares about it. A lot of houses in our neighborhood have been destroyed. I like to close my ears and sing songs whenever the bombs come close. My dad says we have to leave, which makes me scared. I'm worried our new neighbors won't like us. What if they don't understand our religion? Because we don't speak the language, it might be hard for me to make friends. But I know it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be worth it. I just want my family to be safe. But these are not my words. These are not my words. These are not my words.
4: and gentlemen of America, AJC Radio tonight travels down a road that we visit every year as a country stops the clock to take a look back in time of the worst tragedy that hit this nation. We find ourselves in unfortunately familiar territory of the troublesome times in which we live as David Banks alluded to moments ago, that we find ourselves in a very different war, a different fight against humanity. And that is the people of color in this nation living their own personal 9-11. Many will not agree with that, but these are the facts. When 9-11 took place, you found a nation that came together, emotions everywhere, that as a nation we would heal and move on from this moment. But in our current times in this country, we find ourselves still at war for human equality and the loss of life, the very same things that prompted tragedy at the Twin Towers. Right now, we are going to give you an insight listen to the voices from inside the tower. Take a listen.
24: Yeah, hi. Uh, I'm on the 106th floor of the uh, World Trade Center. We just had an explosion. The 106th Yes. 106. Okay. We have smoke and...
1: It's pretty bad. We can't get down the stairs. All right. We have about a hundred people up there. Do not leave, okay? There's a fire or an explosion or something in the building. All right. I want you to stay where you are. Yes. All right.
2: We're in. We're coming up to get you. Can you just up from the of All right. We're on the way. Just sit tight. All right. Just sit tight. We're on the way. All right. Please hurry. <laughs> Christopher was our only child. It was
15: so special.
1: To be able to have the uh, the nine one one audio was really very important. The most uh, emotional poignant moment for me is when he asked him, Please hurry. And thank you.
2: All right, please hurry. <laughs> To
1: be able to have that uh, presence uh, of mind uh, under pressure like that, I thought was just remarkable. I was really proud of him. I mean, to be able to keep that cool and request, please hurry. I think that was his last words. The sonic record of that day, the audible record of that day, is essential because the visual record of that day is limited to the exteriors. Uh, He says he's at the 105th floor at One World Trade
2: Center.
1: They're part of the fabric of the day that we wouldn't know or have any understanding of without
0: this sonic record. Brian Nunez was an office manager at canterford Fitzgerald on the 104th floor of the North Tower. He was just six floors above the plane's impact.
24: I woke up to my telephone ringing. I worked nights nice at the time. So I didn't want to be bothered. And then my cell phone rang again. And I'm like, i not gonna answer.
3: safe message. Brian and,
23: uh,
2: and I'm in, and I can't
24: breathe. Yeah. I do not get idea. Yeah. Brian left that message and that must have been the first or second phone call that I received that morning. And I mean I just didn't realize it. No, it's it's really hard to struggle with, you know, what would have happened if I answered the phone. You know, but I mean I couldn't do anything. Even if I did answer it. I keep the message on an MP3 file. So I have it on CD. I have it hidden away in a safe. I have it, you know, on every hard drive I have. I have it, like, everywhere, just so that nothing happens to it. It's Brian's last word. One of the reasons why recordings were made was so people could record their last words. No, I mean, I think it gives me a little bit of guidance. I, like, draw from Brian's strength when I hear the message.
0: Melissa Harrington Hughes was a business executive attending a meeting on the 101st floor of the North Tower.
2: I love you. I'm in I love you, i in New York. just to
0: Melissa was in New York for just one day.
3: September 11th started like any other morning. Woke up, put a pot of coffee in, so I was making the bed, and the telephone rang. Well, I don't usually answer the phone, but this morning, I did. It was my daughter, Melissa. I knew she was in New York. She was only going to be there that Tuesday. When the merger was done, she was flying back to California the next day. Melissa was a little hysterical. I told her, honey, you have to slow down so that your father can understand what the problem is. She got her composure, said to me, dad, I'm on 101st floor of the World Trade Center, and a bomb just went off. In my bedroom was a TV set. I turned it on, happened to be on CNN. I saw the fire, I saw the smoke. I was heartbroken. She told me the fire wasn't her major concern, but there was an awful lot of smoke. So I said to her, honey, I said, can you see an exit sign? She said, yes, dad. And I said, well, under all the exit signs, honey, are stairwells. I said, you get to that stairwell as fast as you can and get out of the building.
13: It was
1: very unusual that people outside had almost a greater sense of alarm and urgency than the people inside who were in the dark. Families were seen billowing smoke and the flames licking up the side of the building. It was just a terrible responsibility for the people on the
0: outside to have to say it's worse than you think. In the North Tower, Michelle Cartier, an executive assistant, had just started her day.
18: I just felt like this day was just not going to end right. It was just not not going to be a good day. And little did I know that it would be a day that changed the rest of my life. Went to work that morning, um, worked at World Trade Center 1 for Lehman Brothers. We were based on the 40th floor. Started going through my emails. It was a normal routine, preparing for the day. And the next thing I know, the building moves. And I could hear the computers sizzling then the whole floor just evacuates.
0: Michelle's brother James was also working that day in the Twin Towers, but in the South Tower. In his job as an electrician, James Cartier moved between different floors.
18: The only thing that I wanted to do was to find out where James was. Even though he was four years younger, he always had that older brother role in taking care of everybody.
0: As part of a large, close family growing up in Queens, James used to go biking with his older brother John.
18: John was teaching James how to how to ride the motorcycle, so they they have they shared that passion and love for the motorcycle.
0: John was working nearby when James called him from the South Tower. He
5: called me to say that Tower One had been hit by a plane. He could see the smoke um, and that Michelle, my sister, was in Tower One and he didn't know what floor she was not on. So, you know, we immediately went into, you know, um, family mode. You know? And uh, I, uh, I said to my brother James, had I known it were my last words, I would have probably chose better words, but you know, I just told him I'll meet you on the street and and I'll be there.
18: As we were descending, um, people were helping one another, Pe- you know just regular everyday workers just helping each other get down the stairs. And I remember saying to myself, "Well, as soon as I get through the last step and I get outside, I'll try him again." sudden in this crowd of thousands of people i look up and i see my brother john
0: john was at the world trade center because he had received a phone call from his brother james who was on one of the higher floors of the south tower their plan was to meet and find michelle
5: now i wouldn't have been there at all had he not called me but his thoughts were of himself his thoughts were of my sister and that we as her brothers have a job to do now to go get her and get her out of there
0: 15 minutes after the north tower was hit most people in the south tower tower two were still at their desks brad fetchett an equities trader was one of them
1: Hey mom, it's Brad. Uh, just wanted to call and let you know, I'm sure that you've heard that a plane crashed into World Trade Center One. We're fine, we're in World Trade Center Two. I'm uh, obviously alive and well over here, but uh, obviously a pretty scary experience. I saw a guy fall out of probably the 91st story all the way down. So, you're welcome to give a call here. I think uh, we'll be here all day, but uh, give me a call back. later.
12: He was trying to reassure us that he was okay, but you could tell as he cleared his voice when he talked about seeing someone fall from the 91st floor, that there was a lot of fear in his voice.:
5: It's available anytime
1: I want to play it back. It's there. I hear it and I know I, I know it. and uh, I'm still very fragile to listen to it. And so I'm comforted to know it's there, but I don't, I don't listen to it.
0: Charlie carraher a systems analyst for Morgan Stanley, worked on the 68th floor in the South Tower.
22: I, I just backed up my chair and looked out and I, I could see like the window looking out over uh, New Jersey. And it actually looked like snow. There were so many pieces of paper, it actually looked like snow there's a group of about 10 of us, uh, standing, um, looking north towards, uh, the empire state building. And there was like a lot of smoke. It was almost like clouds. And all of a sudden, this, uh, um, this person pops out of it. And he just made it look so easy. He just, he seemed so calm. He just like looked to the left, to the right. And then two people jumped. And, uh, as the lady passed by the window, she made eye contact. You could see through the windows, and that that really spooked me. I mean, you can um you can communicate a lot by just you know with uh, with your eyes. And I had to get away from the window. They started you know making a choice. You know, burn to death at two thousand degrees or jump.
4: Well, there you have it. A What a sincere tragedy of horrors that as the towers began to engulf in flames, they decided to jump out of fear. How do I want to die? The last words from loved ones on this day will never be forgotten. Dave, when you hear that, Dave Zappolo, the R.P. 5 those that work in the business world, uh, these guys got up the same way they did every morning, to go to their job, provide for their families, and When you hear the last words, a phone call made, a voicemail uh, left, and as the mother noticed, as a mother notices the emotions of her child, the gentleman tried his best to remain calm with chaos happening all around him. What are your thoughts when you hear that?
10: It's, It's really heartbreaking to hear. I know. For years, I worked in New York. I've actually been to the top of one of the trade towers. So I know looking down over New York, looking over to the other tower, what it's like when that gentleman was talking about how he could see the people in the other tower and make eye contact. I remember looking over and I was in the observation deck and you could see the people having uh, dinner in the other tower, in the restaurant. So the closeness and and to see these people knowing you're so high up, you're not getting down. You you know there's a fire below. You're not getting down to the bottom of that tower. And to resign yourself to know this is it. This is the end. It's, again, it's, it's heartbreaking to hear this and to remember that day, I mean, that day is etched in my mind. I can tell you where I was, what I was doing through that whole day. I know where I went to dinner that night because I was out of town when this occurred. And to have the people talking that were actually there, how much so is that etched in their mind and the pain that they go through, especially when this anniversary comes around? It's, 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 emotionally drained.
4: No, absolutely, Dave. And, and look, um, I go back to the vision of the IRP-5. What motivated the R.P. 5 As David stated, he had David Banks had been to New York aware where the towers were um And there were some reports that as people were trying to escape, running down the stairs, the cement began to just stack. Like dominoes, they began to fall. President Barack Obama had a moment that he remembered 9-11 and what he was doing on that day and what story was told to him. We're going to share that with you right now.
20: families of the fallen in those awful moments after the south tower was hit some of the injured huddled in the wreckage of the 78th floor the fires were spreading the air was filled with smoke it was dark they could barely see it seemed as if there was no way out. And then there came a voice, clear, calm, saying he had found the stairs. A young man, in his 20s, strong, emerged from the smoke and over his nose and his mouth, he wore a red handkerchief. He called for fire extinguishers to fight back the flanks. He tended to the wounded. He led those survivors down the stairs to safety and carried a woman on his shoulders down 17 flights. Then he went back, back up all those flights, then back down again, bringing more wounded to safety until that moment when the tower fell. They didn't know his name. They didn't know where he came from, but they knew their lives had been saved by the man in the red bandana. And Mayor Bloomberg, distinguished guests, Mayor de Blasio, members Christie and Cuomo, families and survivors of that day. To all those who responded with such courage, on behalf of Michelle and myself and the American people, uh, it is honor for us to join in your memories. To recall... And to reflect, but above all to reaffirm the true spirit of 9 11 love, compassion, sacrifice, and to enshrine it forever in the heart of our nation.
4: The unseen heroes of 9 11. The gentlemen who had no name rushed into the towers to help others that needed help the most. AJC Radio continues to reflect on this moment, on this day, 9 11 tomorrow, as we look back at the moments that shaped a nation. This is AJC radio. We'll be right back.
0: Over a million people are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American civil liberties union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people, alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fair justice.
8: It's time for smart justice.
1: And we need your help.
4: Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States? I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that that is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world? The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population population. But we have over 25% of the world's prison population. America prides itself on being the most advanced and progressive nation on earth. However, sadly, we are also the world's most archaic. I'm going to give you a personal invitation to get involved with the fight against mass incarceration. Take a few moments to call one. 1- Eight five 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 two nine 855 that is a just cause and we fight for justice again call a just cause today don't delay call one it is time and i say high time that we take america's incarceration seriously
25: Won't
3: you join us? Call today.
15: Sergeant Michelle Garcia served meritoriously in Iraq and has the medals to prove it. Soon after leaving the Navy, Lieutenant Chris Scott found a job, a home, and started a family of his own. Corman Richard Stokely took the skills he learned in Vietnam and put them to good use as a paramedic. But soon after leaving the military, each of these veterans fell on hard times and faced homelessness. Even after Michelle lost all her savings, even after Chris wasn't able to pay his mortgage, and even after Richard battled alcoholism for years, they each reached out for help when they needed it most. A simple phone call put them in touch with a trained professional from the Department of Veterans Affairs. That call got Michelle a place to stay until she could afford one of her own, put Chris in touch with employment assistance, and found Richard a substance abuse program. These veterans are success stories, not only for how they were able to help others while serving their country, but for how they were able to let others help them. If you know of or are a veteran in need, make the call. I'm a mother. I'm a father.
16: I'm a sister.
15: A registered nurse. I serve my
18: country in the United States military.
13: I'm your neighbor. I sit next to you at church.
18: And my child was arrested, held in custody. Questioned without my knowledge.
26: Exposed to violence.
18: Witnessed to rape. Placed in solitary confinement. Unable to call or see me. Shackled to a wall. Beaten. Sentenced as
21: an adult at age 17.
13: Sentenced as an adult at age 16.
21: Sentenced as an adult at age 15. We felt lost. Isolated. Ostracized. Misjudged. Terrified. And in the absence
12: of all hope, my child
18: took his own life.
12: And then I found the Alliance for Youth Justice. They
18: gave me the support and resources to get through one of the most difficult times in my life.
21: Now I know I'm not alone. And neither are you.
18: Now we have a voice. Now we We have have power.
21: power. In numbers.
18: In numbers. In numbers. We we can can make a
2: difference.
18: There are approximately 2 million children in the juvenile and criminal justice system in this country. These are the faces of those families. If you are the family member of a child who has been in the justice system, or if you are someone who supports this movement and is ready to make a difference, visit the Campaign for Youth Justice at www.campaignforyouthjustice.org.
2: This day should be a
7: day of reflection and remembrance only.
23: A plea from one of the podiums at this year's 9-11 ceremony, where politicians observe but do not speak, and the names of the dead are recited to underline the enormity of our collective loss. Six times the bells toll for each major event on the painful timeline, starting with the first tower struck. There is a moment of silence, and the reading of the names resumes. Each of the readers speaks of someone they knew.
16: My brother, firefighter Michael Francis Lynch, we know you were rescuing people in an elevator, second tower, first to go down.
23: brother. A widow speaks to her fallen husband. You have
18: given
2: me the greatest gift in our son who makes me proud every day
23: and is a reflection of you. Children speak to their missing father.
2: Thirteen years ago yesterday, you put me to bed not knowing it was your to be your last time. I miss you so much. Daddy, you're my hero. I love you.
23: Dad, thank you for always being there with us. The youngest of us cannot even remember the day it happened, yet labor to find bonds with those who were taken.
18: Thirteen years ago, I was born on my grandmother's birthday. She made my mom promise for us to share every birthday together. We, we never had that chance to do that
2: but the gift of me being born on our birthday is eternal. I wish you were
4: here right now. I wish I had more memory of you. AJC Radio tonight takes a very special moment to reflect on 9-11. As you have heard throughout this show, to the hurting, those who lost the ones most dear to them. In an act of terror that we have never seen in the history of this country. I must say this, that as we sit here and reflect, you cannot reflect without going to the IRP five. Sitting in their shoes, walking their path. They had a vision to make a difference. To shape and to help future generations to be safe. I believe wholeheartedly had justice prevailed and no bogus charges were ever brought. the lives of these innocent men, I believe that the, the act of sharing information would be happening right now nationwide. And for anyone, any process that would impede the progress of such an act, you have to be complicit and what the country is having to reflect on, yet, as William alluded to earlier, to be just as unsafe today as we were when this tragedy occurred. Go ahead, William. You know,
7: uh, here we are today, you know, almost 20 years have passed since this has happened. And the significance of it is you're almost 3,000 people were killed. In that event, two thousand nine hundred ninety-six, and another six thousand injured. And then the years after, the firefighters fund that we where we we've, we've heard in the news firefighters have lost their lives due to you know the exposure that they they suffered running back into buildings to get people, going into harm's way, and here we are today, in the country. That is no safer. I mean, really is. If you think about the significance of, of the software that these guys built, right now we're living in a pandemic and everybody is trying to share data about COVID, how to combat it, how to beat it back, and more importantly, can we develop a vaccine for it? Information is what they're needing. Information. This is what these guys were providing. And right now, in this day and age of social media, there is there is a constant threat with security and information that's out there. People that are looking for those that are um, militant in nature. They're looking for those that are out there looking for a movement that they can persuade. There are people right now that are sitting in the United States that may be actually be U.S. citizens, but now they have sympathize with some kind of terrorist organization. So, there, so we, we have constantly gotten worse because the social media is constantly pushing this information out there.
4: Well, we heard the reports that there is a live – in every city, or every state in this country, there's a threat of terror, and there are sales all over the country mobilizing looking to do something else to this country and when those statistics came out the words were this there is not a place in this country where there's not a threat of terror and networks setting up if that is the case and they say it is Why has no action been taken even at this moment? Go ahead, David.
8: Well, it's tragic. Uh, I look at no action, and it, you can attribute it much to the political discourse in this country has become so vitriolic until it's, it's absolutely disgusting. One thing about 9-11 is uh, sad, sad to say, but the tragedy you you touched on it earlier actually brought people together that actually feels right that people are bound uh are uh, are bonding together towards a common cause uh but it just seems like it's night and day from what the tragedy how the tragedy brought people together uh to what's going on right now in this country and uh political discourse that is just everybody's talking about it's divided yeah but both parties are stoking the the flames of division and it's just it's just a sad sad thing and and people uh, who are not a part of the Washington establishment really need to come together and pull together as people uh, to try to bond this country together it's just it's it's really
10: a, a sad commentary
4: no, no, no! Absolutely right,
10: David. And uh, Dave, you had a you had a comment. Yes, uh, David was talking about how it brought people together. One of the things that will always stick in my mind is that during that time, I was flying a lot, and you would go to the airports, and people were surprisingly friendly that you didn't see before nine eleven. You talked to so many people. People were sharing. People were leaning on each other on the flights. You had flight attendants, the passengers, everybody was respecting everybody else and everybody was in it together. And it didn't take but three months, because I remember it was just before Christmas, you started seeing people arguing, people being frustrated, where I remember standing in a security line for two hours and people were happy because they knew that something was being done to protect them. There were conversations going on, and David brought it up that there is such vitriol right now. You list, you look at Twitter, and people, there's hatred that you can see just in tweets, and these are just little snippets, and you can feel the hatred, and it's so sad to see what our country has become. No,
4: oh, without question. Cliff, your thoughts as, as as to what you've heard tonight, and I agree with that, Dave, that And to Dave and David Banks' point, uh, country's in a bad shape right now. And I don't think we've ever been as divided uh, as we are today uh, from what we're seeing. Cliff? Yeah, I mean,
6: when you look back on 9-11, all the things that happened that day and the things that happened since, um, all the things that we as Americans have, uh, quote-unquote, leaned on the government to ensure our protection from a homeland security perspective and you look at it and to realize and to have the report, you know know, the 9-11 commission when they did the 10 10 years later report and for that to come up and say we're no uh, safer now than we were on 9-11 and you have to come to realize that that can't be by accident That has to be because the agencies that are in place, that they haven't gone out, they haven't sought for a uh, or they haven't implemented a solution such as the uh, silk software that RP had to ensure that we are safe, to ensure that there is collaboration between these federal agencies, to ensure that the FBI shares with the CIA, with the NSA, with everybody who's tracking down terrorists and you look at what goes on today and it's a it's a sad state of affairs in America that we don't have the collaboration that we should and that it puts us all in a less safe position and we have the the atmosphere the the environment the you know everything that's going on nowadays it's like well why can't we come together at least from an IT perspective to say let's share the information Let's help out the nation to ensure this doesn't happen again. Right now, we're looking at terrorist sales not only um, in cities in America, but all over the world that want to do America harm. And who knows when the next attempt such as 9-11 will happen. We should be prepared. We should have something in place that says we can at least track if we have this information at hand. Well,
4: look, the bottom line is if you have people in high positions— and you are in a culture that has lost the value of human life, those things don't matter, then you should not be in your position. I don't care if it's at the FBI level, I don't care if it's at the CIA, any law enforcement agencies across this country, if the goal is not to fill body bags and to break the hearts of Americans and people as a whole everywhere, if that is not your vision, you shouldn't be in your position. The country depends on the experts to do the right thing. They failed to do it. And for a statement that we are no safer today than we were almost 20 years ago. What does that say to us as a country? If the are li- the lives that were lost at ground zero, we can tell you all the people. The, the the last calls that were made to loved ones and the wreckage and the tragedy of 9-11, if we fail to do what we are supposed to, to ensure that never happens again, then we're, we're doing the wrong thing. How does human life become devalued? The country right now says that Lives do not matter. Our law enforcement across the country say all lives do not matter. Black lives do not matter. Why is that? Why is that culture still embedded in this nation? You roll the clock back to 9-11 when this happened, nobody saw color. The man that President Obama referenced with the red handkerchief he didn't say, well, wait a minute, maybe, maybe, let me make sure this person is white and not black before I pull them out of the wreckage. That doesn't happen. Then where have we come as a nation? And this country is as divided as it's ever been. But let a tragedy happen. We want to promote America, how Americans come together. But we live in a current issue right now of death. And the value of life meaning nothing. Why doesn't someone stop and say every person matters? But the African-American community has suffered and protests for today is a separate tragedy. But it makes the tragedy no less horrific. It's time that we take a look. Coming back, we're going to deal with some more as we approach the closing segment of this show, ask yourself the question tonight, where does America stand? For what's happened over the last several months and the needless killing of African-American men and women. Because as David alluded to earlier, is judged by the color of their skin. Make no mistake about it. We reflect and look back on 9-11. But we do not hesitate to deal with the acts of 2020. They're equally as horrific. horrific. This is AJC Radio. Remembering 9-11. We shall never forget.
11: We'll be right back.
26: Almost every day in the news, we hear stories about innocent people who are returning home after spending years in prison for crimes they did not commit. What you may not know is that their problems don't end once the limelight fades. For many, wrongfully convicted individuals don't receive a penny for the injustice that they faced. Take the case of Floyd Bledsoe. He spent 16 years in the Kansas prison for murder and rape he did not commit. And while Floyd was eventually exonerated, he lost everything. His family, his farm, and decades worth of income. Unfortunately, Floyd's story is not unique. Kansas, along with 17 other states, doesn't have a law to compensate wrongfully convicted individuals for the injustices they've suffered. And in states with compensation laws, many of those are woefully inadequate. We owe it to all the men and women in all 50 states to provide fair compensation to those who've suffered these injustices. Join me in urging our lawmakers to do the right thing by the wrongfully convicted. Go to InnocenceProject.org to find out how you can help.
21: There are no loose ends in TV procedural dramas. At the end of the hour, the bad guy always gets what's coming to him. Unfortunately, the real world is a lot more complicated. We know from the work of the Innocence Project and other organizations in the Innocence Network that the system doesn't always get it right. According to the National Registry of Exonerations, since 1989, nearly 2,000 people have been exonerated of crimes they didn't commit. What people don't realize is a good number of those people pleaded guilty to crimes even though they were innocent. In fact, in nearly 10% of the nation's DNA exonerations, people pleaded guilty to serious crimes and agreed to serve significant prison time because the system is stacked against them, especially if they are poor and people of color. That's right. The stakes are so high that we have innocent men and women agreeing to serve long prison sentences. A system that puts that much pressure on people to plead guilty is a problem. Visit guiltypleadproblem.org to learn more about the men and women who are pressured into pleading guilty to crimes they didn't commit. And join us in demanding that our elected officials Do something to protect the innocent people who get caught up in a broken criminal justice system. Thank you.
4: For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that. Life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today, one 855 529 Four two five two. We seek justice for the children as they go to bed at night and mom's not there. Dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future.
3: Odds of
18: becoming an astronaut, 1 in 13,200,000. Odds of being struck by lightning, 1 in 576,000. Odds of dating a supermodel,
16: 1 in 88,000.
18: Odds of bowling a perfect game, 1 in 11,500. Odds of being trapped in an elevator, 1 in 24,528. Odds of catching a ball at a major league game, 1 in 563 odds of an injury from shaving one in 6,585 odds of tripping while texting
16: one in ten odds of getting cancer in your lifetime one in two men one in three women
10: it's up to us
18: to change the odds for our generation
10: for the ones we love for our future
18: if you don't like the odds stand up stand up to cancer
4: Back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight. As I'll tell you right now, the emotions run high. Every time we have to take a look back at 9 11, we are reminded very clearly the state of this nation. It is all well and good to look back to understand the heroes, the first responders, the firefighters, and all that came together with one goal, and that was to save lives. I believe that in any situation, this should be the attitude and the spirit of America. But we find ourselves starting and stopping as a country, as a people, to pick and choose when we are going to be human, if you will, in the eyes of others. As we said earlier, America stands at a crossroad of decision in regards to the value of life. Uh, Dave Zapolo made a very interesting point, and Dave, go ahead and share that with our listeners.
10: Well, if you were a CEO running a company and departments were not talking to each other, that company would fall apart. The CEO would be livid because he would be losing his company. Where is the leadership in our country today saying we need to start talking to each other? We need to start sharing data so that we can run this country in a way that's going to protect the people.
4: No, without question.
8: And on top of that, you got the politics involved. And the pandemic is a political football now. So as if anybody can respond Properly to a pandemic uh, or perfectly, let's put it that way, to a pandemic. But right now, as long as the leaders in this country are divided, uh, they set the example for the people. And uh, if if the leaders of this country, they they pay lip service that we need to come together. But you don't see any of that actually happening in Washington, which is why their approval rating is down there 12, 13 percent all the time. There, it's all about what how we can benefit politically and especially uh pronounced uh, during a political election year that we're in right now i don't I just don't see much changing here in the near future until after the election you might see a little more uh coming together it's just it's just it's just a sad state of affairs no
4: without question and uh you got we got to look in the mirror we got to take a look and say how do we change this how do we How do we turn the page? Uh, It is something for people to become very discouraged about. Uh, And then the unrest in this country right now. Somebody has to step to the plate and say, we need to change how we do things. No matter how difficult or how hard the culture is in place, it is our duty to shift culture in the right direction. Right now, we play another clip from the tragedy of 9-11.
25: New York City Mayor Rudolph Giuliani uh, has confirmed that uh, some of the first police officers and firefighters on the scene were killed, Uh, and the mayor added that in general, quote, the number of casualties will be more than most of us can bear. Mike Carter, Vice President of the Firefighters' Union here in New York City, estimates that half of the 400 firefighters who first reached the scene may, I underline that word, may be dead. I quote uh, Mike Carter of the Firefighters' Union. We have entire companies that are just missing. We lost chiefs. We're going to have to bury a lot of people, Carter said. Uh, Roman Catholic Church Cardinal Edward Egan, who administered last rites to dozens of victims, said that the firefighters and police were quote, dead in great numbers, quote unquote, the Cardinal. Police department and union sources speaking on the condition of anonymity said that 78 police officers were missing. However, assistant chief Tom Fahey said the number of missing, of known missing among police officers is not that high. Uh, the emergency medical service worker, Luis Garcia said, initial reports indicated that bodies were buried beneath the two feet, two feet at least, soot on streets around the trade center. And Garcia said, "A lot of vehicles are running over bodies because bodies are all over the place." Garcia is a 15-year veteran who had two people die in his ambulance on the way to the hospital. That gives you some of the mood, the atmosphere, and some of the facts and eyewitness reports that uh, surround us here in New York City tonight.
4: Well, oh, there you have it. Perspectives from all sides of this day. Tomorrow, the nation will wake up and reflect on a day that they shall never forget. Just Cause AJC Radio is committed with one goal in mind, to institute change in those that have the power to make that change. It is our belief this is the only thing that will bring us to the point of healing and, and really canceling out all division that has plagued America. So next time, America, we wish you well, and we close with this final clip. Ladies and gentlemen, the young lady you are about to listen to lost her father on 9-11, 2001. Through the years, one thing remained constant. She continued to miss her father. Here's what she had to say.
2: It's been a year, Daddy. Daddy. I really, really miss you. Mommy says you're safe now in a beautiful place called Heaven. Oh, we get a of you We had your favorite dinner tonight. That was always. And I ate it all Yummy, wow. Even though I don't like carrots. Yeah. You with me. I learned how to swim this summer. Down and I kept ease and open my eyes. When I learned the water, I make back tomorrow. Can you see me? Can you see me? Can you see me? I miss you, Daddy. We're in it's been five years, daddy. Love is all that I need. I'm in I'm fifth grade, grade now. Five, seven, I really like computers. So see. But math is hard. Mommy lets me sleep in one of your t-shirts. Oh, I think it still smells like you. What's in your world? I don't need to sleep with the light on anymore I, love when you're down. I try not to cry daddy please oh, me. I really miss you daddy love I love it I say just hold me can you see, me? Can you see It's been 10 years, Daddy. Baby, all that I, I started high school. I made the honor roll. I hope you're proud of me. I'm also on the soccer team. Can you see me on the field? I started thinking about college. Do you think I could be a doctor? Now I, I know you'll be with me when I walk down the aisle. I try not to be sad. But it hurts.
4: What are we going to do, America? As the hearts of our children continue to cry, as we stand at risk of another attack of terror on our nation. What about our children, our children's children who stand in the crossfire of terror? We must act now that America and our children We'll remain safe.
2: I hope you know you're my hero. I love you so much. I miss
4: you daddy. <laughs> well, that's heart-wrenching. Thought-provoking. What are we going to do? I speak to America, the leaders. The American people as you wonder what the next step will be or the next act that will happen. To strike terror across America. We must join in this fight to keep America safe.